I don't know if you have a pumpkin pie coma, like I do, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, you might be surprised, probably not, for me to tell you that I love the church. Uh, she's, uh, she's not perfect, no, no church is perfect, but I, I love her. The reason I love the church is because the church is people. Now, the church has hurt me, but when I say that the church has hurt me, people who are part of the church have hurt me, not an organization. But by the same token, it's people that uh, have loved me, and that's in biggest part why I love the church, because people in the church loved me. When I was a kid, it was a very common thing after the Sunday morning service, somebody in the congregation would invite our family over for Sunday dinner. Now, if you're from the South, it's Sunday dinner. Uh, Maybe lunch, I don't know, but it was Sunday dinner when I was growing up. One of my favorite houses to go over to was Miss Bonnie's house. They lived in one of those kind of old farmhouses you see in the movies where the dining room is just off the kitchen, and the woman of the house would go in and out of that kitchen, and she would work some sort of magic. We'd, we'd come in, and she'd already be there. She'd come out and greet us with her apron on, and then she'd go back in. You could smell these just delicious smells, and then at, at some point, she would call out, and she'd say, dinner's ready, and we'd get up from the living room, and we'd walk to the table, and we'd sit down, and why I loved going to Miss Bonnie's house, not only was she an incredibly kind lady, but she had the best buns, <laughs> rolls. <laughs> she was older. <laughs> the best rolls you've, you've ever had. I, I mean, the, I can still, just the ooey, yeasty goodness with butter, and they just melt in your mouth because she just took them right out of the oven. I, I also love to go over to the Dawson's house. We would get in the car if they invited us over, and we'd drive, kind of, they kind of lived a little outside town, and uh, they had a bunch of property off the back of their house and some Weimaraner dogs that they would let loose, and we'd run and chase, and I loved it because I could go there, and I could just make myself at home, and I could go into the kitchen, and I could go to the living room, I could go downstairs and put together the Hot Wheels track and race the Hot Wheels car, and they had one of those really cool things, I'm, I know I'm dating myself here, but where you put the Hot Wheel and it would measure the speed and then spin it out and spit it out fast, and I always make these contraptions, and I used to love going over there because I just felt so welcome. Uh, we would also go sometimes to the Hammerstrom's house, uh, Hammerstrom, Mary Jean, and Bud, uh, Mary, Bud's brother and Mary Jean's sister, they married each other. Brothers married sisters, and then they built houses right next to each other. And so sometimes when they would have a big family dinner, they would invite us over, and we'd go over to the big family dinner, and we would sit around, and there was Malia and Lisa, and Lee would be there when he came in from town. And it, it, here, here's what happened for me. It's why I love the church. It was around those tables where I was made to feel welcome that I was converted to loving the church. And I think if we could take those tables and we could extend them out and offer you a seat at that table, if you don't love the church today, you don't love the people of the church, you don't love what God's doing through his people, I think you would be converted too. I think you would have a conversion and you would say, man, I love the church. I, I, I think we ought to bring it back that we go to someone's house uh, after church on Sunday. I think that'd be a great thing. We could make hats that say make the church great again. And I think it'd really catch on. We could make the church great again by having people over to our houses and, and eating a meal together and sharing our lives together and eating delicious food together. I think it could make a massive difference. 
So in this series, what we're going to learn is we're going to learn how to do one of the things that Jesus commanded us. When Jesus left, Matthew 28 records it, he gave what we know as the Great Commission. He commissioned us to do something in his name, to go and make disciples, to baptize people, and to teach them, this is very interesting and important part, to teach them to do everything that he commanded us. And so in this series, we're going to learn to do one of the things that Jesus commanded us to do. I'm going to teach that to you in a simple form this morning. We'll do it the next several weeks. Uh, and then I want to talk to you also about why that's so hard for us. It's, it is. It's hard when I tell you what this thing is. And then I want to talk to you just briefly about what the kind of church we would be if and when this happens, when we do this on a regular kind of basis. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to read the scripture together. As you do that, I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and tell them the title of this message, which is a question, and it's this. Hey, who you got room for? Luke chapter 14. I'll read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. A scene from the life of Jesus. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body, and Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He's pointing to the Old Testament that they would have known. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked him, incredulously, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, sisters, relatives, or rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Here's the thing that Jesus said to do. We're going to learn it together. It's very simple, but it's very hard. The very simple thing that Jesus commands us to do, it's not an option if you're a follower of Jesus. Not a follower of Jesus, it's not a command on your life, but if you're a follower of Jesus, it's a command on your life and on mine, is this, that we're to welcome the wrong people. We're to always make space for the, the wrong people. Make, we're to make room at the table. We're to set a place at the table for the people that everybody says are the wrong people. And Jesus tells a little parable when he's there at a Sunday or a Sabbath day meal about the wrong people. And he gives these categories of the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Now, in our day, we hear that category and we've got all kinds of legislation and laws and compassion that honestly comes from Jesus' influence on Western culture that moves us to hear those categories and say, oh, we need to care for the poor. We need to have laws that we pass for the crippled and the lame and the blind and make sure things are in braille. And, but in Jesus' day, those were the people that were the, the losers at life. Now, we feel a little bit of this. Maybe if you're not used to working with the poor, uh, you might know what I'm talking about if you've ever done that and not had experience doing that before. You, you go, and, and when you're with someone who doesn't necessarily have the money to always have perfect hygiene, can't really afford to go to the dentist, 
and works a job where they put in physical labor, usually around food, uh, there's, an, there's, a, there's an odor, in all honesty. And it's a, if you're not used to it, it's a little unsettling, and you kind of go, eh. If someone's disabled, uh, we understand that, that we would never make fun of a person like that. We have laws that let that person uh, have access to places you and I kind of take for granted, but it's still a little bit of an inconvenience. Oh, i got to make room for that, and I, if someone's blind. Jesus, in Jesus' day, these people were the rejects of life. Uh, these were the people who lost. The, if you were poor, that was a sign that God hadn't blessed you, and you obviously didn't have a relationship with God because God hadn't blessed you. That's why you were poor. You were suffering for some sins of your, your own or your parents. Or If you were crippled and lame, your family, if they had no means, would basically put you out, and you'd sit on the street corner, and you would beg, and that was your job. And if you go to a developing country today and you find someone who's disabled, that's what you'll find is exactly what happened in Jesus' day. We, we kind of understand that, but we don't really get the sense that they're the losers at life. Now, if you're looking for an idea for something to do that would change how you see yourself, I'd give you an idea. You could throw a banquet, uh, and you could find the people that Jesus lists here, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you could, uh, you could put yourself out. You could empty your bank account, and you could rent a hall, and you could hire a team of chefs or get some volunteers, and you could cook a massive banquet, and you could go out, out of your way to find those people and invite them and arrange transportation and get them there. And if you did something like that, you undertook uh, something like that, and you took Jesus' words at face value and actually did it, I promise it would be a Copernican revolution. You remember who Copernicus was? You learned about him in high school. He's the one that said, wait, 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 hey, the earth revolves around the sun, not the other way around. See, we think that life revolves around us, and if you put yourself out for people who don't have access to the resources that you have, you will have a Copernican revolution and realize that you are not at the center of the world. It'd be, it'd be massively transforming to you if you did that. I mean, you could take that at face value. You could do that this week if you so decided. But those, that category of people, that for us, it's not really the wrong people. I, so I was thinking, who, who are the wrong people? Well, we're so divided as a culture, at least here in America, that I think the wrong people are just the people on the other side of us. If for the next seven days, at lunch, you ate with someone who was on the other side of you in whatever category you want to define, you would yourself have a Copernican revolution. If you were wealthy and you, at lunch every day this week, you ate with someone who was poor and you just asked them about their life and what their job's like and you would go, whoa. If you were conservative and instead of just always having on the news of other conservatives and talking to other conservatives, you found someone who was an extreme liberal and you said, hey, let's go to lunch every day this week, and you actually talked to them like a person, you would have a revolution. <laughs> and if you were a liberal and you did the same thing to a conservative, you'd have the same thing. If you were straight and you spent time with someone who's from the LGBT community all week long, you'd, you'd be shocked. If you're from the LGBT community and you... You could reach out to a church lady and have lunch with a church lady all week, all week long. That would, that would change how you th see things. If you were a Christian and every day at lunch this week, you made sure that you ate with someone who was not a Christian. Here's what Jesus was going for, is that the people with, the people with money, the people with status, the people with respect, the people with dignity would do something for the people without those things. This is who Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the wrong people. So, 
let's just, let's just all take a minute. Let's just all write down the person who's on the opposite side of us, their name. You can come up maybe with five names. This Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if that's your work week. Let's write down their names. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dismiss, and we're all going to go do that this week. Does that sound good? First service was even more uncomfortable than you are. <laughs> Listen, if we did that, that would change us completely. It might be the week that you grew the most spiritually in your entire life. <laughs> you certainly would be the most like Jesus, who was always eating with the wrong people. Listen, you would have a conversion, and you would, the conversion would be you would learn to love people who are different than you. So I got to ask you the question, who you got room for? Now, what is it that keeps us from that? Because this, this is, uh, if I'd ended it that way, you'd have been kind of mad at me and you didn't, you know, I don't really want to do that this week. I'm not really, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, why? Well, I think it's what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis was an atheist for a long time uh, in the middle part of the 20th century. Uh, he's a very educated man. He began to investigate Jesus at the influence of his friend J.R.R. Tolkien, and uh, he examined the evidence for Jesus and the resurrection, and he became a Christian because he said the evidence was just too overwhelming. And he became one of the most influential Christians in probably the last 100, 150 years, maybe 200 years, written lots of books. But he said that what's always working behind the scenes in every human heart is what he called the inner ring. The inner ring are the people we think that we need to belong to and that we think if we could just get into that group of people, then we'd be okay. Everything would be all right for us in our life. And we've decided that those are the people that matter. And so we do everything that we possibly can to get into that inner ring. Now, this is what's going on behind the scenes of this setting in Luke chapter 14. Jesus is there after the Sabbath meal. I don't know if he's at Bonnie's house. I don't know if they're eating rolls. I don't know what they're doing. But in that day, Jesus was always eating with the wrong people. The Pharisees were a religious sect of Judaism who were the conservatives. You had the Sadducees, if you read the New Testament, and those were the liberals. So here he's with the conservatives of his day. And they are picking the places of honor, the places that were the person who's the distinguished guest, because they want to see themselves as honored. And they, they say, these are our people. This is my tribe. I want to belong here. I want to be valued here. I want to be esteemed here. And what they were doing is they were, in, in a word that we use today, they were picking their squad. Right? They were deciding who they wanted to belong to, and they decided they wanted to belong to that sect. And they had, uh, in a phrase, they had, they had squad goals as a result of that. Have you seen the hashtag squad goals? Some of you don't know what a hashtag is. Ask someone under 40. Uh, but squad goals... Uh, I, I looked this up on Instagram, some squad goals, and this squad goals are, you know, these are my people, and these are the things I want to do with my people, and so I, I got some, some, some pictures, they're not that silly, uh, but some pictures of squad goals, so just click right through those, if you're into Christmas and dressing your dog, how many of you dress your dog? Don't raise your hand, come on, what are you doing? Uh, but squad goals, right, and there's squad goals if you're a dog, squad goals with you're getting married, squad goals if you wear weird shirts, squad girl goals with your bros doing whatever it is your bros do these are all actual pictures people hashtag squad goals these are uh these are your people these are your tribe and the pharisees were like this is my squad and we've got squad goals jesus 
we know what we want out of our squad. And we don't want anybody else in our squad that doesn't fit into our squad. And, and what happens when we have, think about a table is when you're in a certain kind of squad and there's an empty spot at the table, you automatically think about filling it with someone who fits in with your squad. See, you don't think about fitting in someone who doesn't belong in your squad because you got your squad goals, right? You don't want to add someone else who doesn't fit in. It'd be uncomfortable for you. It'd be uncomfortable for them. Now, remember, what are we learning today? We're learning uh, to do something that Jesus commanded us to do. And what did Jesus command us to do? Not, a, not an option if you're a follower of Jesus. To welcome the wrong people. People not a part of your squad. Now, I'm sure the Pharisees in the same way were like, Jesus, th- these people are not a part of our squad. They don't think like us. They're not right. They don't act right. They don't talk right. They smell funny. They look funny. They're not funny. Jesus, these people don't fit in with our squad. And so we do what the Pharisees did when someone is not part of our squad. See, Jesus sees a man that he heals. Now, in the Old Testament, the laws of the Old Testament, had, there were laws around what you could and could not do on the Sabbath, the day of rest. And one of those was you could not do work. So there was a debate at the time as to whether or not healing someone or helping someone would, be con- con- would constitute work. And in the squad of those conservative people, they said, well, you know, our interpretation is that you can't heal somebody, and so we're going to prioritize a principle over a person, and Jesus heals this man who's obviously suffering. And he asks them, he says, is it lawful to show compassion to a human being made in God's image on the Sabbath? And they're just crickets, because in their squad, they don't want to be seen as the person who goes against the squad. And Jesus, if you put yourself into this scene, you can go... He's thinking, what? What? Are you kidding me? He said, how many of you have had a child or your animal fall down a well on the Sabbath? You're telling me you wouldn't lift them out of the well? Come on! Crickets. They didn't want to be seen as doing something that was against their squad. And Jesus just can't even believe it. Now this is, this right here, we're getting to the heart of the thing that keeps us from doing what it is that Jesus asks us to do in welcoming the wrong kind of people. Because it's in our desire to fit in that we exclude people who are different than us. Let me say that to you again. It's in our desire to fit in, which is a natural thing, that we end up excluding people who are different than us. We we end up with, if we're in now Jesus' squad, the wrong squad goals. In Matthew 5, Jesus is trying to make this same point. And he says, listen, if you love the people who love you, in other words, the people who are part of your squad, if you love those people, what credit is that to you? Everybody does that. The mob does that. Drug dealers do that. ISIS does that. What is it that separates and sets us apart as followers of Jesus? I'll tell you what it separates us. It's who we got room for. The wrong people. That's who we got room for. Now, if we do this, what, what kind of church would we be if we actually put this into practice and this is just how we operated? Um, we would be two things. We would be a church of irresistible influence because everybody wants to belong. And people would go, oh, that, that's the group of people where you always belong and you never stick out. Like there are weird experiences people have when they visit church. And I hear some of the stories and I go, oh, my gosh. Like you're, you're new, and then 
you're, you're a guest and like in a room like this and the guy doing what I'm doing right now calls you out. Ah, oh, yes, you're a guest. Stand up. Tell us your name. And you're freaking out like never coming back here. Like, you know what? <laughs> you know, we, don't want, we don't want to create that kind of environment. But when you have a, a, a place where you just have the room for anybody. See, the church was radically inclusive before that was a word. I hope you understand that. You just have room for anybody. I mean, it's irresistible influence. But at the same time, will be rejected because a lot of people just simply aren't ready to welcome the wrong people. They got their squad. And they don't got room for anybody else who ain't on their squad. So let me give you three ways, three places that you could put this into practice this week, welcoming the wrong people, and show you how you could do it. And then I'd love to hear some of your stories next week. Um, the first place is you literally could do it here on a, on a Sunday. Every Sunday, there is always someone some multiple someones who are here for the first time and that could be for any number of reasons someone has been inviting them and trying to get them to show up and they finally show up and and they're a little bit skeptical maybe they're a skeptic and they're like you know what i'm just looking for a reason to disprove this whole thing and they're just waiting for someone to say something dumb or do something dumb so they can go see i knew all christians were like that i didn't want anything to do with that anyway or and this is more often the case is someone comes in and they're they're just looking for some place to connect. They're lonely, they're hurting, life is not working, and they're going, I just wish there was some place where people would welcome me, and they're just looking for a little bit of hope. And when I say they're looking for a little bit of hope, I, I, I do mean that I, I want them to hear a song that moves them, or the message is relevant to them, or, or the coffee tastes great, but what they're really looking for is another human being to look them in the eye and say, you're welcome at our table. You belong in this spot. We've been saving it for you the whole time. You didn't even know. And so when you're here, you, you need to, I'm commissioning you, if you're a regular here, I'm commissioning you as the welcome team. And you just need every Sunday at the end of the service to get up and look around for someone you don't know and go, hi, I'm. And when you see someone you don't know, don't look the other way. Go, hey, hi, how are you doing? I'm, introduce yourself. Make them feel welcome. The way we say it to ushers and greeters is we say, we want to create an atmosphere where people feel welcome and wanted. There's some simple ways you can go about doing that. Uh, there are three things you can do. Maybe you can do all three. Maybe you can only do one. They all work. Uh, it's to give someone a look, a word, and a touch. A look, a word, a touch. You know how when you went on Black Friday? Mm, some of you, how many of you went on Black Friday? Don't raise your hand. Uh, you went on, or you were on Thursday night or whatever. You went to the store. You weren't there to give someone a look. If you were giving someone a look, it was like, get your hands off my TV because I'm going to smack you down. That was what the look you were given. You were not given a look of welcome to people. You were eyeing people if you were giving them anything. And when you're out in public, we usually don't kind of greet each other. It's kind of an awkward, weird thing to do. But when people come here, they're looking for hope. They're looking for someone to look at them and notice them and see them. And you just looking and looking at someone in the eyes and smiling at them is incredibly powerful. Or you can give a word where you say, hi, hello, my name is. It's incredibly powerful to be spoken to. And what's your name? Oh, hi, John. It's nice to meet you. Nothing sweeter to any human being than hearing their own name. Or if, if you're able, you can give someone a touch, a, a, a healthy touch. Did you know there are people who are single and there's no one else that lives in their house? Or if there is, they don't have any physical contact. And they go all week long with no one giving them a welcoming, loving touch. And you could be, that, now this is why I love it. If you're, on, if you're on Facebook Live, hello, 
uh, I'm so glad you're here, but you can't do that from a computer, right? You can't do that. You, but when you're here, you can do that for somebody else. You have something you can give to somebody else. We have three kids, and we're super affectionate as a family, and so I get lots of touch every week. Hugging and kissing and wrestling and all that stuff that goes along with little kids. And it's great. At some point, they're going to grow up, and they're going to move on, and then it's my wife and I, and then maybe at some point she's gone and I'm still here. And I'll be like many folks who are older who they go through their whole week without any meaningful touch. And the, I mean, just the act of putting, you, I could delve into the chemical releases that happen when someone touches you in a positive way that happen in your brain, the dump of chemicals that makes you feel so warm. You could do that for someone else just in this room because they're looking for it. You could do that. Uh, another place that you could welcome the wrong person is uh, around the table in your home. I, I really think that we need to revive having people over. <laughs> Back in the day, people used to drop by, or we would go drop by. No one drops by anymore. If someone rings your doorbell, you bolt the thing down, you shut the blinds, and then you stare out like, who's that crazy person? You know, I mean, not the way, that's not how it used to be. I think we ought to revive having people drop by and coming over and having people over for lunch. We've cocooned long enough, right? We, our, ca our homes don't need to be castles. They need to be tables where people are welcome. And what if you just did that? What if you just, you just set the table, right? <laughs> you just said, I'm, I'm ready for company. And I'm going to get ready for them. And then I'm going to call them. And I'm going to say, hey, I'm having a meal at my house. I'd love it if you came over or if that was overwhelming, you would say, okay, well, how about if you bring something and I'll bring something and then we'll just have a meal together and you can have a seat at my table. I've pulled out the chair. I even cleaned the toilets. <laughs> you can come over to my house. And, and I, here's, here's, here's the challenge because if we're learning to do what Jesus said, we're going to invite over the wrong people. Now, let me give you one last place you can do this. Is that uh, around the tables at work and at school? And let me just say it to you like this. What if this week, you, if you're at work or you're at school, you just sat next to someone at lunch. If you bring a lunch, hey, come sit with me. Or, or if you're at school, hey, come sit with me. Can I sit with you? Why don't you come sit at my table? And you find the wrong person. Invite the wrong person to lunch this week. And find out that they're a human being made in God's image by just asking them some questions. It'd be a Copernican revolution. You'd be converted to loving people who are different than you if you did that this week. When you, uh, when you came in on your seats are these, uh, these little cards. This little kit right here. And it's got a napkin with a silver fork and spoon and knife and a couple little cards on it. And uh, it's meant to convey what we're going to do through the Christmas offering. We, if you don't know what that is, some of you have been around, you know what we, we do. Every year we ask you to give a day's wages. Uh, we're going to do it on December the 17th. And if we all give a day's wages, we'll be able to give, what, I've done the math, well beyond $65,000. And then we give every single penny away. And there's a website there. You can go look at and see what we're doing. But 
I'm going to ask you to have a conversation with whoever is in your household this week about that. Maybe you haven't done that in years past, but if you do this, uh, this will, you will be saying to the people in your household, hey, what we're doing is we're making room for someone else at the table. Now, we were going to we were going to get stockings to symbolize another person. You'd get you to hang a stocking, but they were super expensive. So we're like, how can we do this cheaply? So here you go. <laughs> what I hope you do is you take this, because this symbolizes that in the Christmas offering, you're saying, I'm, we're going to add someone to our family that we're going to bless this Christmas. And so I, I hope what you do, if you have a mantle or a place you hang stockings, that you'll put this up on that mantle or wherever you hang the stockings is symbolizing another person. And then that you'll take this card, it's just a guide to help you have a conversation, and ask, what are we going to do? What are we going to do as a family? How are we going to, as a household, as, a, as, a, as two roommates, what, what are we going to do together to bless other people? How are we going to make that work? And here's what you're going to do. You're going to come to the conversation where you say, well, I guess we're going to have to give up what we wanted to do so that we can do something for someone else. Now listen, if you have parents of kids or grandparents of kids, I know you love giving them a gift that they don't need. <laughs> They're going to open it. You're going to search for it. You're going to pay a bill for it. In 10 minutes, it's going to break. Or in 10 days, they're going to stop playing with it. If you would include them in the conversation, in fact, all the kids are getting a little candy cane with the same little card on it they'll bring home today. If you just say, what are we going to do? And you ask them to be a part of it. I promise this might be the best Christmas they ever have when they go, oh, you know what? We got to make a seat at the table for other people that God loves. And then what I'm asking you to do is to take that little card right there, and it just is a place on the back where you can write down your goal, and then I'm asking you to take your wallet out and put it right next to your debit card so that you see it for this entire Christmas season live, live, uh, leading up to the Christmas offering. You can start to give now to the Christmas offering, but on the 17th is when we'll take it. And that's just you saying, we're going to make, as a family, a seat at the table, and we're going to give it all away. Because this is, this is what we're going to be. This is the kind of church we're going to be, where you have a seat at the table for all the wrong kinds of people. <laughs> the kind of people that Jesus spent time with. And I just wonder, who you got room for? I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to dismiss you. So let's pray. So, uh, God, we, uh, we admit that we want to belong. And I know that need for connection is from you. I know it's not wrong. We get a little twisted up, God, when we find someone that we can belong to and we end up excluding. We don't mean to, but we end up excluding people. You know this about us. And so we want to intentionally understand that we have a place of belonging with you. We have a place of belonging with the church, with your family, the, the seat. When we were the wrong people, you invited us in. You gave us a seat at the table. When we were the wrong people, the church invited us in and gave us a seat at the table and said, you're welcome here. And God, we want to always be a church like that, a church that invites people in this physical space and into our homes. We want to be those kind of people. And so we're going to need the power of your Holy Spirit to change something inside of us, to orient us toward you and to see some greater goal that we'd give ourselves to. That we'd have your heart of compassion for the wrong people. So God, forgive us for the ways we exclude. We do it. We admit it. Forgive us for the ways we do that. Show us your way. 
having a meal with the wrong people. And so we ask, we invite the radical conversion that will happen in our hearts when we do it. Because we want to be church of irresistible influence to our community, the Northwest Indiana, and beyond. We pray this in your name. All God's people said, Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. Our prayer team will be down front. If you need prayer for anything, they'd love to talk with you or pray with you about anything. A couple people will be there, and then you can receive this blessing as you go. May you know the God of the empty seat at the table that was set for you. May the awareness that God did that for you pervade how you see the people around you. May you know that you're sent now to love God, to love people, to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. Thanks for coming.